Talk Back Matters from the Salvos. Anzac Day goes beyond Gallipoli. It's a day that we remember all who served and died in war and on operational service. Archivist for the Salvos, Lindsay Cox, gives us a window to the front line. Look, the stories that come to me in, in my position as a territorial archivist uh, include the, the fear and the deprivation that these young men that were suddenly wrenched away from their normal living uh, at home, often with mum, and straight to uh, uh, conditions where they were deprived of any sort of security and comforts. Um, they didn't know where their next meal was coming through uh, from often. Uh, they had someone from the other side trying to kill them. And the conditions they lived in in the First World War, for example, up to your knees in mud, you slept in mud, your feet actually rotted away with all the moisture that you were soaking in all the time. And there was just this constant feeling uh, that someone was trying to kill you. Have you spoken to anyone or come across any archives that give a window into what they've felt like carrying these guns and actually killing people? Well, I've got a, I've got a story that uh, I could tell that just the other day I had a group of senior citizens through and uh, one of the people said, oh, you're missing something from your display. And I had a gramophone there without the gramophone arm and it had been used in Papua New Guinea. He came back a week later and said, here's the arm for it. I collect gramophones. He said, it's complete. I said, well, what do I owe you? He said, well, nothing. I was with the 2nd 14th Battalion. We're on the Kokoda Trail. I was with two mates and we'd had it. We just felt like we couldn't move, we couldn't go any further. The Japanese were only a couple of hundred yards away up the track and we said we'd be better off being prisoners of war. And we reconciled to that. We were laying there, around the corner came a Salvation Army officer with two natives. One of the natives had a car battery on his head, the other had one of these record players He set it down, connected it up, and started playing some Salvation Army music to us. And from a flask on his back, he gave us a half a cup of coffee each. Kidding. And after a few minutes, he said, I've got to go, boys, and see some others. He said, so God bless you, and left us with a minty. He said, you know, that's we're here today because of that. He said, we know we wouldn't have... Now, we would never have made it back if the Japanese had have taken us. What was their next step? Uh, And sitting there and thinking about it and just the feeling that everything wasn't hopeless. They got up and they they went back down the trail until uh, they came across other members of their battalion and that's why he was there that particular day. Amazing. Tell us a few other stories. Well, the, the... Devotion of the troops to some of the uh, men, like there was William Mackenzie in the First World War, known as Fighting Mac. He landed with the 4th Battalion on Gallipoli in the second wave of troops, and he just looked after his men in the battalion and around for the whole time. But the thing he's really, not really famous for, but one of the things he did that endeared himself to the troops, he, he wasn't just a Bible basher, he was there helping the troops, One night, after noticing the water carriers bringing the water in off the boats up to the the troops in the forward lines, they were scrambling up the side of the ravines, and he spent the whole night digging steps 
out so that the water carriers had an easier way the next day. Those sorts of practical things that really sort of sold uh, the Christian, the Christianness of uh, of what he was trying to do. It showed a love that uh, was like self-sacrificing. Well, when he he spent four years over uh, in Gallipoli and then in France, and when he came back. He was greeted by 7,000 people, mainly families and such, uh, in the exhibition buildings here. Wow. And what about from uh, World War II? Is there a story of what the Salvos did? They turned up somewhere? There was another fighting Mac in World War II, Arthur McElveen, who was with the 2nd 9th Battalion, and he was in Tobruk for the whole battle, the siege of Tobruk, when the Germans just couldn't wrench it away from the Australians. After the war, the Salvation Army let him go back and he photographed the grave of every man of his battalion and he wrote to the next of kin and sent them the photograph. And for his war work, his devotion to the troops, he was knighted, became Brigadier Sir Arthur McElveen. And when he retired from service in the Salvation Army, the Rats of Brook Association bought him and his wife a house to live to. Such was the, you know, the, the respect that these people, the non-combatants that looked after the spiritual and and uh, the welfare of, of the Australian soldiers. If we can look at a situation where the Salvo's tent was set up. Basically, when you went into the Australian Army in the First and Second World War, they gave you a uniform and all that sort of stuff, but they didn't give you any undies. They didn't give you any shaving cream, anything like that. And so some of the comforts that were provided with just simple things like a face washer, shaving gear and underwear. And um, these things, if you were a soldier and didn't have someone sending you a, a package every now and again, you were deprived. So these basic sorts of things really meant a lot. But then there was the cup of coffee, you know, right up at the very front that I mentioned before. Uh, and it's just that word. It's the fact that someone cared you know when you're so far away from your loved ones and all that and just someone appears it's not not the coffee itself it's it's what it stood for my 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 uncle harry was with the second 14th field artillery regiment and when the australians were landing up in papua new guinea up around finchhaven uh he and his his mates in the artillery there had to drag their guns up across the beach and find a, a spot to set up a firing position to cover the landing of the infantry further around the bay. And he said they sweated across the beach up into the jungle and the first bit of flat ground they found, there was a salvo there with a lean-to set up and he was saying, G'day mates, would you like a cuppa and a biscuit? And... My uncle Harry said, and I won't use his language, but he said, how the so-and-so did they get there? And there's just so many stories of the Salvos being there when the troops arrived. And uh, there's good reason for it because any commanding officer worth his salt would include the Salvo in the orders group so the Salvo would know where they were going and would try to get there to greet them. That's Salvo's archivist, Lindsay Cox. To speak with Lindsay, email us via our website, salvos.org.au forward slash radio.